This is Control Structure, episode 71 for October 7th, 2014. Big week to everyone listening. Uh, before you get started, and if you're wondering where everything is that we're talking about, uh, head to thenexus.tv slash CS71 to see the show notes. Uh, I am your host, Andrew Bailey, and with me today is my other host, Stephen Orvis. Hi. You turned off the rain. It did stop raining, j- just perfect timing. Yes. So, perfect. uh... So yeah, here you are out in your trailer again. Yes, I am. So how long have you been up there? I have been up here, I want to say this is the third week I've been up here. So I'm actually planning on coming back down next week, so you will be seeing me next week at church, hopefully. And at the seven-day rotating Gatling Gun Dragon Brotherhood. If it's still called that by then, it may have changed by then. Well, I I I, uh, like... I pressed uh, Chris on the name of the series of meetings, and apparently that's the best he could come up with. Um, and I'm like, dude, we need something like shorter so I can punch it into a phone and not feel like you know some sort of weird guy, and like I'm not <laughs> wasting my life trying to punch this into my phone. <laughs> it's like, so if we meet every year. <laughs> however many weeks of the year and you type it in every week <laughs> over the course of 10 years how much time is wasted my life <laughs> you could do an acronym uh, whatever the the gatling gun whatever it was yeah but it wouldn't be pronounceable okay that's true acronyms are better when they're pronounceable so, yeah, let's see, I think, uh, yeah, the last time we did the show, it was before the, uh, uh, potato stock, uh, which I did go to. Um, yes. Yes, and, uh, I even made a blog post about it, uh, but unfortunately, uh, I, w- since I went in the early afternoon, there wasn't a whole lot there in going on, uh, but I managed to hang around for, like, two and a half hours, and, uh, it was pretty cool to, like, be a part of like something semi-internet historic. So were you able to get in on the potato salad you went to eat? Uh, yes. Uh, unfortunately, they would only—they were only giving out like uh, I should say, like little cups of potato salad. But uh, it was—he uh, made it with the help of an Italian restaurant, so it was really great. That's good then. So. And, uh, like, another thing that I noticed is that downtown Columbus is very different than downtown Pittsburgh. Um, for instance, in downtown Pittsburgh, it feels like you're driving into a coin slot, no matter where you go. (laughs) In in Columbus, everything's, you know, there's wide streets and wide sidewalks, and there's something called space... And uh, I think it was more of a symptom of coming down there on a weekend, but it looked like a ghost town. Downtown Pittsburgh never looks like a ghost town. It never does. So right. I, it's I pull. Terrible. I pull into the parking garage, and it's like ten percent full. Like no matter where I look, I can see like the far side wall of this parking garage. Mm. I'm like, I have never been in a parking garage like that. Of course, it's probably a bad thing for the town if their parking garage is only 10% full. It probably means they're not doing very well if they don't have people in the town. Uh, well, then again, this is the weekend. Like, no one hardly works downtown on the weekends, apparently. Granted. There so, weren't any sports or... Uh, there was an OSU game later that uh, afternoon. Uh, I think it might have been at maybe 6 o'clock. And that's why I took another route home. 
But uh, getting there, driving down I seventy one, I must uh let's see, they were trying to they were repaving it, and it must have been like I don't know fifteen miles. I must have passed every stinking orange barrel in the state of Ohio going there. <laughs> oh, road construction. So, hey, uh, how about some uh, vaguely related news? Um, so you know those blue LEDs that are like everywhere. Ah, yes, like the ones they're putting in uh, the light bulbs now, and uh, run. Well, well, even even now, you know, since uh, you know, I do build computers from time to time. Like pretty much every kind of fan or every kind of glowy thing that you can put into a computer is mostly these stinking blue LEDs, and it's sort of obnoxious. Uh, but, uh, you know, I guess everyone's really excited about them. And apparently the Nobel Prize Committee is also excited about them because the 2014 Nobel Prize of Physics has gone to Isamu Asaki, Hiroshi, Hiroshi Amano, and Suji Nakamura for the invention of efficient blue light-emitting diodes, which has enabled bright and energy-saving white light sources. So, it's worth listening to the podcast just to hear the names pronounced. Yes. I had no idea how to pronounce them. <laughs> well, since since I did take an intro to, like, Japanese culture and language, uh, like, way back in college, uh, you know, Japanese, you know, the vowels are, like, there's only five of them, and they're A, E, I, O, and U, like, and they're always pronounced the same way. Okay. So, and uh, Japanese in general has a very rhythmic pattern to it, so... Wait, you sounded very convincing when you said them like you knew what you were saying, so you must have done it right. So, I hope I did it right. So, um, anyways, so you might be saying, okay, they're excited about blue LEDs, but how does that make white light? Uh, well, apparently, if you make a blue LED and put some uh, yellow phosphor around it, the blue and yellow combine to make white. So, and I'm pretty sure that all the light coming from around me is LED, uh, from my monitors to the, uh, little lamp I have above my monitors. So, uh, yeah, this, uh, you know, I, oh yeah, speaking of, uh, this past week, I also got a little headlamp, uh, that I can also strap onto a bicycle. And this thing is like really bright, so it's all, it's also uh, powered by USB, which I can plug Wait. into my power bank. A USB bicycle lamp? Yes. So I'm waiting for the bicycle to come out that has a generator on it that has USB ports. <laughs> I'm, well, which actually makes sense because you could charge your you know your phone or whatever. You go for a bike ride and it charges your phone. So it yeah, is bright. Your face is washed out. Yeah, this this is on the lowest setting, and uh, I turned off my overhead light. Yeah, that's, that's so this this is bright. this is the brightest setting, and I'm I've closed my eyes, and even then I can still see like the red on the back side of my eyelid. So yeah, even even on the low power, it still gives out plenty of uh, brightness. And then there's, also, there's also this flashing mode, which I mean. Kind it's of obnoxious useless. and annoying. Yes. <laughs> the, the LEDs did do a tremendous amount of good for the flashlight industry. I, when I was younger, 
I remember uh, just about at the time period where they were doing the transition and like the first LED flashlights, like they had one LED in them. And I remember the craze, like, oh, this one has 10 LEDs in it. And it's so awesome because it has 10 in it. And it, it, the, at first they were so expensive. And then as time went on, you could just see the prices started dropping and dropping. Now the LED appears to be, you know, the common way to go. And, and the battery life is just so much better. Yeah. And, uh, like, I'm not sure how many actual LEDs are in this, since it's just, like, one little square at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, but, like, my battery bank can apparently output two amps worth on USB. Uh, so that's, like, 10 watts or so. Okay. And this thing must eat all of the amps that I throw at it, because at the highest setting, it gets pretty hot after about 15 minutes. Interesting. Uh, and even at low setting, it gets a little, it gets barely warm to the touch. But on the high setting, yeah, it's kind of toasty. See, see, the interesting thing about LEDs, flashlights, is at first, everyone was about how many LEDs were in a light. Like, that was the, the selling point. This one has, you know, 300 more than this one or whatever. But I, then later on, like, as the technology got better, I bought a flashlight. Uh, it's a, made by, uh, I forget the company, oh, Leatherman Tools. I, it's, it's not their brand name, but they're associ- an associated company. Anyways, the flashlight has one LED in it, but it has, like, in mirror systems and focusing and stuff in it. But it, like, you can shine it on a cloud outside, and it lights up the cloud. <laughs> um, but so, it uses one LED. Yeah, it's... uh. I should say you have to use uh, part of Ryan's favorite measurement, which is lumens. Um, I think at one time he said his favorite favorite me- measurement was lumens per lumen per lumen. <laughs> so that's lumens squared or cubed or the something. Cubed, right? Yes. The two, not the th- or the three, not the two. Scream raspberry now. Raspberry! 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 Okay, so we have a, a Kickstarter Raspberry one. This is for a, it's called a, a hat, a connection hat. It's kind of a new term for me, but evidently what it does is it takes all these, uh, the input and output pins on the Raspberry, and it allows them to uh, jump the voltage up from 3 volts to 5 volts. And another thing they did is they made the connection the IO pins uh, be in the GVS format, connection format, which is a ground pin, a power pin, and a data pin. So it's three pins right next to each other together. You've probably seen like on your motherboard before for the, the fans that have the three pins. It's a pretty common thing. And so I'm pretty sure that would be considered a GVS device, uh, which evidently, according to them, it's, it's a common device of things you can buy off of eBay. Uh, so I guess... The common name for what this kind of device would be is a shield. Uh, like, I've heard of, like, Arduino shields and, like, various shields for other kind of devices. 
it's weird that they call this a hat. See, I was looking up shields before the show, and I was getting the impression that shields are a way to expand your ports by like using a port. You'd use a, a select the port you want, and then it would pick that shield and be a way to expand them. I'm not sure. Like that's what I want to. I want to read up on that and get better at that. So, but, yeah, I I noticed like on the board here the pinouts. There's SVG. Wait, isn't that a format of some kind? And then, uh, oh, what was it about the pins? There's something else about yeah. the pins. Uh, what was it? Oh, right, I know. It has, uh, this is the older model they did. They did a previous Kickstarter where they had this, uh, three volts to five volts. The chip was, like, $2.30 or something like that. Yeah, I read so, that. Yeah, they, they said they put two of them on there, and they just chose certain pins that they thought were useful to people, but they made you choose those pins. But then with this one, they, they dropped it back to one chip, so you just have eight ports. But then they put this programmable EEPROM on there that lets you choose which pins you want to line up to be your eight that are the, going to be the five volts. And so it was kind of interesting that just you can write, it has like read-write pin on it and selector pin, and you can write to it and stuff. That was kind of interesting. It's an actual piece of hardware that they said the Pi would recognize and see as a device out there. Yep. So, uh, hey, now for something a little fun. Uh, Borderlands, uh, it's a video game that I, uh, video game series, rather, that I love to play. And it's now on Linux. So, yeah, the uh, the whole Steam OS thing is finally coming together in that, uh, like, there's a lot of uh, third-party games on there, but they're mostly all indie games. So I I can't recall that maybe this is probably the first big AAA game uh, third-party uh, on uh, Steam OS now. Uh, so, yeah, you can go, go ahead and play your Borderlands 2 on Linux. And uh, apparently the pre-sequel, the uh, next installment... Well, sort of entry, I guess. It's uh, sort of the uh, game that goes in between the uh, two others, uh, thus the uh, pre-sequel. Um, that's coming out, I think, next week, and uh, that's coming to uh, you know Linux also, and uh, of course, you know, alongside Windows and Mac. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is uh, pretty great in that you know if you go over to Linux, well, uh, you can have still have some great games. Yes, I, I think this is what's going to push Linux over the edge as far as being a, a practical operating system for people. Because you have the portals now, or well, Portal 1, I think. I don't think 2 is on. Actually, then, I think uh, 2 came first. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I remember one or the other was on Linux, and the other one wasn't. And the one I wanted wasn't on Linux. It's, so it probably was 2 because I, I wanted. I haven't played through 1 yet. So it's a good chance that I, I it was 2 then. Uh, it is. So which one? Uh, two. Two is on. Okay. Uh, in fact, uh, both of them are. So yeah. If I can finally play through one. Um. Let's see. And as far as the uh, pre-sequel, I won't be getting it just yet because I'm still enjoying number two. And uh, as mentioned in the uh, fringe, uh, I was uh, in fact playing through some of the DLC. Uh. So yeah, maybe I'll get this for next Christmas. So uh, do you know what cups is? Uh, cups, yes. I put water and in it, or coffee, or... No, 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 not not this kind of cups. Um, the, I think it's like the common Unix printing system or something. Uh, it's, yes. It's kind of like the, uh, thing that sits on top of printer drivers in Linux, and I think, uh, macOS also. 
apparently that reached version two uh, last week. Uh, at least the uh, final version uh, of, of version two. It looks like it's been in uh, some sort of beta for quite a while. Yeah, so it looks like it went through a couple of release candidates there. So, uh, and I'm not sure if you're like me, but I try to stay away from printers. Um, like, I hardly even want to print anything, even when I did have a printer. So they just, you know, even on Windows, they cause, you know, all sorts of problems. They're, they're good for printing out rebate forms. That's probably been my number one use of printers over the years is printing rebates. Hundreds so, of dollars of rebates. So, and uh, hopefully you can still print from open office on Tuesdays. And you're like, oh, what are you talking about? Well, apparently back before uh, LibreOffice split off in around 2009, that uh, someone, or at least it was fixed, that this uh, bug that you could not print uh, from open office on Tuesdays. You just wouldn't do it. And it was, uh, uh, you know, it, it sort of, uh, you know, you evaded everyone, you know, trying to test it and reproduce it. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, they finally got a hold of it, and it looked like the, you know, the spelled out Tuesday or something on, like, an uh, internal format was uh, messing everything up. Ah, so they hard-coded it wrong someplace and... Or something. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, pretty funny here. Yes. It's, it would be, because like, you write the bug up, and then you submit it to them. They pick it up on Wednesday, try that. Works for me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what your problem is. This, and this... you go and try it, and it's like, huh, it works now. Yeah, um, like the second comment here. This bug is causing printing using the Brother Cups drivers to fail on Tuesdays. I'm attaching a sample postscript file, of which, uh, like, 4.21 misidentifies. Uh, oh yeah, this also apparently can cause postscript files to be misidentified as Erlang jam files, which in turn causes them to not be able to be printed as noted in some other bug. So, yeah, this is, uh, rather interesting. Yes, that, that was a pretty good bug. And now for a spinoff. Uh, HP, uh, you know who they are? Yes. Yeah, we talked about them in their, uh, was it their Memristor-based computing a little while back. Ah, yes. Uh, they, uh, the company is to split into two different companies, uh, one handling consumer devices and the other one doing professional services. If you remember, a former CEO named something like Apothecary wanted to do exactly like this. And this was like two or three years ago. Um, so yeah, they're going to apparently split off the business. Um, I guess, you know, just to, you know, focus on specific, uh, you know, product lines, I guess, or lines of business. So an interesting question is, where is the, uh, uh, R&D department that would be working on the men wristers fit into this because they said they're allocating like 40 percent of the resources to that project so that's not just like an under the rug project they do it that is a big project yeah i guess it depends on which business is expected to be more profitable which in that case i'd expect it to be uh the professional division could be uh because you know consumer stuff that's pretty much all a race to the bottom uh, unlike their printers, I think, you know, printer ink is just, you know, gouging, you know, <laughs> un- unless it it's, unless it's made of, of unicorn blood, we're all getting screwed. <laughs> like there's, there's, there's a comic about that. I'll show you later. Okay. Yes. Fringe it later. 
I need to see that comeback. <laughs> That's great. And now for a spinoff. eBay is considering spinning off PayPal, courtesy of Mr. Icon. Uh, so, uh... As you might remember, eBay uh, purchased PayPal back in 2001 or 2002 or something. Um, yes. Like normally, this wouldn't be a really big shakeup in tech, but it is in my world because you know, like I'm in e-commerce, so like pretty much every uh, client that we have uh, either has PayPal or we are implementing PayPal for them. So. Change-wise, though, I didn't get the impression it's really that big. They're just letting them have their own board of directors to make their own decisions. And judging from the guy they're hiring, the guy has a lot of experience in mobile payment methods. They're not going to try and focus on the mobile market. So it doesn't seem like they'll be dropping stuff. It just seems like they'll be better able to focus on the, what's most profitable for PayPal was the impression I got. Yeah. So and there's also you know things like uh, you know competing agendas you know like competing uh, business plans, uh, yes. which you know definitely makes sense because you know in my case you know I'm uh, you know implementing uh, their services uh, for competitors of like another division of their company um, that kind of sounds dangerous. So you know I I suppose you know I could be uh, talked on board with this. But, you know, as now, I was like, oh, that's, you know, interesting that that that's happened. So, and the the thing that, you know, makes everyone a little bit, uh, you know, cautious about this is that uh, the guy that's demanding this to happen, uh, Carl Icahn, is, uh, you know, he's he's been a noted corporate raider, uh, which means he, you know, gets into companies, you know, silently buys up a lot of stock and then starts demanding things happen that's good for him but not necessarily for the rest of the company ah uh, that's interesting so yeah we'll see what happens with that yeah so we have a net neutrality alert a cable operator sudden link is in a dispute over pay tv fees with viacom uh sudden link apparently uh is like more of a southern isp like more in like the carolinas okay um, and Viacom, like, owns, like, a huge amount of, uh, cable TV state, you know, cable TV channels. Um, so, uh, and then the, uh, retransmission fees, I'm pretty sure sh- you might be aware of that, where, you know, the cable operator pays, uh, you know, say Viacom or Fox or whoever to, you know, have their channels on their, uh, cable network. Uh, so they're in a dispute over fees. So in response, Viacom has blocked Sudden Link subscribers from accessing Viacom content on their website. Uh, Sudden Link asks their subscribers to contact the FCC over this. I think this is the right move, uh, for, let me find the right company, for Sudden Link to, uh, call this out and, and say that because it really is, I mean, they're blocking their content. The best thing that I liked was they're giving suggestions of what to do in the meantime. They're like, maybe you can find your favorite shows on Netflix or Hulu. And they say, or YouTube. And it's like, YouTube's free. That's, <laughs> that, that was the best part. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, kind of sad that this is all happening. So, uh, let's see. Rotatable Technologies had a patent on, guess what? rotating phones so that the UI s- switches from portrait to landscape mode and back. This is kind of like a, uh, you know, functionality that's embedded into pretty much every smartphone ever. 
uh, at least in the past, say, seven years. Yes. And I say had a patent on this because they lost it when they attempted to extort Rackspace over it. So, and the best part about this was the company that they uh, were going after, they said that their policy is always to fight the patent trolls, which they did. And they said uh, that eventually Rotable offered just to walk away, but we refused again, just as promised last year, we challenged the patent and the USPTO invalidated it. And so not only did they stop them to the point where it wasn't going to bug them, they kept fighting them to knock them out totally so that they can't bug other companies, which I thought was good of that company that they pursued it to that extent. So uh, their policy is just like Newegg. Exactly, and that that seems to be working for these companies to stand up to the because they're basically bullies, is what it is, and yeah. stand up to them and, and do it. So the the patent thing that they the USPTO, I think that was the it's some sort of a in between. I, I they referenced it just a little bit in the article. It sounded like it's like before courts or something. Like there's a way to invalidate these these uh, frivolous lawsuit patents. Yep, the patents. Uh, it's, that was the first time I ever heard of that. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, so, uh, let's see, are any other companies sued by Rotatable for how they use screen rotation technology in their apps? Um, da, 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 da. Rotatable sued us and immediately asked for $75,000 to go away. We refused, and we fought. Uh, it's our policy to not pay off patent trolls, even if it costs us more to fight. So, um, yeah, I guess that, uh, you know, these patent trolls go after companies, you know, they might even be aware that, uh, you know, these companies will fight them. Um, But I guess they're like, oh, our patent is different and it will actually stand up. But then they realize, oh, crap, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Then then that's when they try to walk away. But they're like, no, I don't think so. Yeah, it's it's pretty much too late by the time you've actually sent the notice out. Yes. By oh. by saying that they wanted to walk away is basically an admission that yeah, you're probably going to beat us. <laughs> yeah. Uh so it turns out that uh full text search is a big thing in databases. Um let's see. I you know because you use uh you know C sharp, I you know, I had to remember, oh, you don't use Microsoft SQL Server, you use Oracle. Um, and I'm not exactly sure of, uh, like how much you have to extort, uh, Oracle in order to get, uh, full text search. Uh, that is if you do. Um, but it seems fairly standard in, uh, Microsoft SQL Server. Uh, but you get it in Postgres for free and you've been able to use it for a while. And here's how. So it turns out that you need to, uh, write queries with, uh, with a certain function. And that function pretty much uh, takes, uh, like, uh, I think they're called lexemes. Like, it pretty much breaks the, the word down to its root. So, you know, it strips off any kind of plural uh, form. It uh, strips off any kind of suffixes and, you know, like, boils it down to, you know, very short, uh, you know, like, very short, you know, representations of the text. And uh, from that, you can, you know, mix and match uh, the input text to the search terms. What I thought was great was their uh, spell checker search that they could do. You could call a similar and pass in two words, and it returns a record if it's kind of spelled the same way and doesn't return the record if it's not kind of spelled the same way, which is a huge thing in searching because most of the time people can't spell, <laughs> me included. <laughs> you mean can't spell. Can't spell. Why did I say can spell? It sounded like can. Okay, I can't. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, if I ever get the uh, the itch to, I'll probably implement this on my blog since, hey, it's free and it's there. So, yeah, Postgres, again, is awesome. But slow, too, though. Remember the article a while back about, I uh, forget, forget what the query was. There was some query it was slower on. Yeah, uh, but it's still faster than MySQL, so take that. That's uh, true. And now for something that happened yet again the day after re- we recorded last time. Shell shock. If you thought heartbeat bleed was bad, shell shock practically sells your soul to the devil. It's a vulnerability in Bash that involves executing extra code appended to functions when they are executed from environment variables. It's been around in Bash for more than 20 years, so and it's also practically standard equipment on Linux. Uh, that means that more than half of the machines on the internet are potentially vulnerable. So practice safe CGI, kids! So the original guy that found this uh, backdoor had another name for it that I thought was interesting. He called it Bash Door, yeah. which t- to me is almost more of a memorable name. So, uh, yeah, this this vulnerability was discovered by uh, like that guy. He was like looking for other kind of uh, similar uh, exploits, and uh, apparently this uh, feature or not feature <laughs> feature. <laughs> Bugs are features. Exactly. Um, so uh, Chet Ramey is the guy who's been maintaining uh, Bash for the past 22 years. And uh, he's, uh, let's see, let's see. He says that uh, he believed he inadvertently introduced Shellshock in a new Bash feature in 1992 uh, or thereabouts, because apparently we didn't really have that great of uh, uh, like uh, code versioning back then. So was this the the guy who took it over from the original guy or the original guy saying that? Uh, Let's see. Uh, Mr. Fox maintained Bash, which blah, 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 for five years before handing over the reins to Chet Ramey. Okay, so it was the the second guy that introduced the bug? Yeah, it looked like uh, this Fox guy was the guy who originally uh, wrote it. Can't blame him, though, because he's maintained it for all these years. That's the interesting thing is he's... We have these people that have been maintaining this code for years and years and years, and we trust this code entirely, completely. And it's just a guy, like, he has a day job someplace else, and this is just his hobby thing. I mean, it, it could be, I mean, he sounds like a nice guy, but it could just as easily be a guy who's not a nice guy, and maybe he slips something in intentionally. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and uh, for those of you who are wondering what in the world Bash is, uh, Bash is sort of like the uh, command line interpreter. Uh, that you use on Linux. Uh, pretty much any kind of uh, Linux command line, it's probably Bash. Uh, if you're using like some sort of an embedded system, it's probably BusyBox, uh, which is like another kind of uh, like terminal emulator. So, and uh, you know, Bash scripts are a semi-legitimate programming language. Yeah. So, and uh, you know, it's. You know, it's sort of like what you said there, that, you know, these very fundamental pieces of uh, infrastructure that, you know, the Internet sort of depends on is just maintained by, you know, maybe one guy somewhere who's like, you know, it's not his main job. Yeah, it's just a hobby. So one interesting point he was making in there about open source software in general, I had a quote from uh, Stephen Bellovin. I think that's what he says. It says, quality takes work. 
design review and testing, and those are not nearly as much fun as coding. So what he's saying is that open source, it's done by people. It's their hobby. It's not their main day job. And so it's more fun to write something new than it is to go over the old code yeah. and double test it and, and make sure that it really does work the way we think it works. And you can't blame them. They're doing it for fun. Oh, I kind of like the uh, uh, the previous part of that paragraph. The mantra of open source uh, was perhaps best arti- articulated by Eric Raymond, uh, one of the elders of the open source movement, who wrote in 1997 that, quote, given enough, eyeball, uh, given enough eyeballs, all bugs are shallow. Uh, but in this case, Stephen Bellavin, a computer science professor at Columbia U, uh, said those eyeballs are more consumed with new features than quality. So, yeah, that's pretty much the, uh, like, the rule of the land and pretty much everything software. Yeah, and, it, I mean, even at work, I see I see a similar mentality. If It's like, if it's there, it works, it does what we want it to do, don't touch it. Yeah. So, uh, moving further along, Yahoo and WinZip's servers are susceptible to shellshock and have already been exploited. Uh, so, like, uh, this guy was, you know, just going around testing, you know, like, random servers, and, you know, he found that out, you know, even though this is, like, a week after the, uh, bug has been discovered and fixes have been made available. So, yeah, I expect Heartbleed to be fully gone from every live system in about 40 years, but I do not think that this shell shock will ever be gone. So by live, you're, you're meaning ones connected to the internet or everything that's running? Um, I'd say maybe a combination of both. Um, or, like, systems meant to seriously do something. Um, like, not necessarily connected to the internet, but, like, you know, something that's, you know, not done as a, as a curiosity. Uh, for instance, there's, you know, you've heard of, uh, damn small Linux? Yes. Well, there's also a distribution called damn vulnerable Linux. Uh, which, you know, uses old versions of packages that have known vulnerabilities, and it's, like, actually made to, you know, be installed on something to exploit it. Ah, interesting. So, like, outside of things like that, you know, to actually fully cycle out. That'd be an interesting distro to play with. made a somewhat financially irresponsible decision lately, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> I, I read that and said, oh, maybe he's going to tell us during the show. <laughs> uh, next time, definitely. Next time, okay. Uh, in so doing, I felt the need to hack my sound drivers. It turns out that most Realtek sound chips on motherboards these days can output DTS Interactive in Dolby Digital Live Signals. Uh, these are the 5.1 compressed formats. Uh, they're used for SPDIF connections. Uh, like if you ever noticed, like an optical output on like your sound cards or your DVD players or something. I- I've seen that before. Uh, yeah, that's what uh, you know, like DTS and Dolby Digital uh, are used for. 
Um, even if the motherboard vendor has refused to pay royalties to, you know, enable this functionality, you just need to hack the drivers a little bit in order to enable it. So, so which is copyright or uh, has royalties on it, the software or the hardware? I think maybe both. Okay. But they're allowed to somehow produce the hardware and as long as they don't like unlock it, basically, yeah. they're fine with it. So, this would be interesting having it open suddenly. It, it sounded like every single Realtek sound card out there you could be unlocked was what the thread was saying that I opened up there. Or at least the uh, Realtek HD okay. uh, chips, anyway, uh, which uh, my Sandy Bridge motherboard has on it. it. And so what that does, though, is if a lot of people start doing that, that might make suddenly this be a commonplace thing and that the patent might not hold up very well. Either that they make the manufacturers make a different chip that doesn't have the hardware in it. Uh, well, unfortunately, uh, this is sort of old technology. Like, these were made, like, for DVDs. Okay. Uh, so, like, this is, like, pretty old stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, even with it being old, I have yet to find anything that gets you 5.1 sound using this. Uh, PC games don't support either format generally. Like, I've yet to actually find anything that does. And even if you check all the boxes in VLC, it lies to you, as it always does when you try <laughs> something off the beaten path. So I, I started to figure that one out because someone on the thread, like, he's like, yeah, I tried it, and my game sounds so much better now. I don't know if maybe it was just the thought of having enabled an awesome feature made it sound better in his mind or what. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll be uh, saying more about this next week. Um, it's turned out that my uh, Asus Zonar sound card uh, also has optical outputs on it, uh, but I guess they don't work, and that would have saved me like two hours or so. But then I'm like, I look over my motherboard, and I see, oh, there's another optical output there, too. <laughs> so, yeah, you have uh, some feet. Yes, so Smokey the... Uh... The Raspberry Pi hooked up to the furnace that we talked about in previous episodes. He now records, uh, not records, he archives the data because I have been collecting it every minute, right? Mm -hmm. So that filled up my freebie Heroku account that holds 10,000 records that fills it up in like two or three days. And so I, I made it archive the data every single day, which actually wasn't what I wanted. I realized that I made a mistake in my, my test writing and stuff. So anyways, now it archives it to, so the data is truncated for every hour. So each day it does a uh, rake task, and it goes in and takes all the old data for the previous day and takes those minute records and averages it for the hour, and then saves them back onto the database. And so that seems to work pretty good so far. And I also mounted the, a box for the Pi inside the furnace in a semi-permanent spot and ran an actual Ethernet cable. So the connectivity has been a lot better than the wireless so far. So, yeah, it turns out that I mispronounced douche last time. Uh, and Ian, uh, in the podcast feedback, so rightfully points out that it's probably not. It's something like Deutsche or something. And uh, he it amazes him how every language seems to have different words for German. Uh, Spanish says Aleman, Swedish says Tisk, German says Deutsche, and those are just the languages that I know about. Well, apparently Wikipedia has an article about it. So, you know, this is just, you know, the diversity and history of Germany and like it not being, you know, like one political entity for so long that, uh, you know, pretty much every uh, everyone just, you know, chose a list of names from about five or so um, that, you know, happened. 
I was I was just going down scrolling through and it says like names from East Asia and it has like the Japanese characters there and just scrolling through like it looked like a person with hands and then I realized that's probably what it's supposed to look like. So yeah, it's a very interesting thing. You know, I'm just looking through. I saw the uh, podcast section, fo- podcast feedback section blank. I'm like, oh no, pro- you know, I'm pretty sure someone sent something in. So yeah, Ryan, we miss you. Please come back. So uh, let's see. Don't forget to, uh, you know, uh, anyone else who would also like to submit some feedback, go ahead and use the contact feature on the nexus.tv. And uh, don't forget to uh, back up your stuff because International Backup Awareness Day is today and tomorrow and so forth. <laughs> so, hi, Mom. I I recall that you wanted to send something in for like a few weeks ago, but you haven't. And I'm sad. So, uh, let's see. Anyways, uh, you said that someone was over at your house or something? Yes, my great aunt is up visiting from down in Tennessee, so I probably should go inside and at least be present for some of the evenings so i'm somewhat polite <laughs> okay um and i guess i really don't have anything much going on i might be uh, playing some uh, uh some video games and seeing if they have that uh, surround sound or whatever so i guess we'll uh let's see we'll uh let's see i forget how i end the show i only do this like once every two weeks so, you see, like, have a good one or something like yes, that. Yes, that's what I was looking for. Yes. Have a good one. Aren't you going to say something? You too? <laughs> <laughs> I, was waiting. I was waiting for you to end it. <laughs>